I'm here with Chad and Amy Kreiderman of Kreiderman's Barbecue. Now everybody's experienced the brisket biography uh, on Facebook and and this is the people who actually make that delicious meat. And you guys just opened your second location right here in downtown Melbourne yes, and you're still still breathing, you're surviving, right? Yes. So we are, we are. We want to know all about that, and we, you guys have been in business running Kreiderman's, what is it, a year and a half now, almost two years? Two years in July. Two years in July. So tell me a little bit. Take me back when you guys first opened the Cocoa Village location. How did you guys do that? Uh, what happened? We catered for a you know, couple of years and kind of got our feet wet, um, developed recipes. Um, it went over really well. We got a bunch of great feedback along the way during that time. Um, and then just a natural progression for us, we just reached the point that restaurant just seemed the next step logically. Um, so we started looking for locations and we knew that we wanted a gas station style building. Um, which are few and far between in the county. So when we came across that one, uh, we were pretty excited about it. And I fell in love with it right away. But unfortunately, we weren't the only people that fell in love with it. Wow. So we weren't selected originally as the renters. They went with a, another company. Um, a which, kayak rental company. Yeah. <laughs> which ended up falling through. So during that time of disappointment, I wouldn't even, I didn't want to drive by the building. I didn't want anything to do with it. So we kept looking, nothing else was like clicking. Um, and then we ended up getting a phone call that the other renters dropped out and wasn't going to work out. And they asked if we were still interested. So of course we were super excited and we we're like, yes, what do we got to do? Um, so we got the lease together, signed the lease right away. And then started building out, um, which took a year. So that was July of 2017? What was the timeline for that? Well, we started in... Hold on. 16. Yeah. Well, we opened in July of 2017. We started um, We actually took the building over January of 2016. Mm -hmm. So it took us eight months to get our permits... And then actually was another six, seven months of building out. So it was a long, drawn-out process. I, I, I jokingly say if I was twice as smart and had twice as much money, it would have taken half the time. I was neither. I had neither. I was neither. So it took forever. So it's a learning experience. But you guys were committed to making some amazing barbecue, not like anything else that's in Brevard right now. Tell me a little bit about opening the second location. Is there some things you learned that maybe made that a little bit of a smoother process, or was it just as difficult? What we learned is that each city has its own set of things that go along with it. Wow. Um, so the little quirks of things that the city of Cocoa wanted uh, weren't necessarily the same things that the city of Melbourne wanted because they had their own set of set of things to work through. Um, so even both processes were completely different. Um, obviously, it wasn't as much of a build-out for Melbourne, uh, which is kind of why we jumped on it in the first place. Hmm. Um, so it shortened the length overall of the process, but it still had its issues. But we got through them, and because um, that's really all you can do is you know keep moving forward. The job started, and you know we knew eventually we'd get there. Um, but I think 
one thing we learned if we were to do this again is that we would just hire a GC, spend the money, and let it be someone else's problem. <laughs> yeah. That knows more than us about yeah. this kind of thing. So. Which goes back to my thing I told you earlier. If we were twice as smart and had twice as much money, we would have just hired someone to do it because it was a, right. a painful learning experience. But oh well. Yeah. But it, I think it was easy though. Everyone would do it, right? Yeah, so, it's true. Yeah, and it definitely. I mean, going through the process twice now, it's easy to see why a lot of businesses don't end up making it to the day you open your doors because it's definitely it could be really easy to let yourself become overwhelmed to the point that you're just like, screw it, I can't, you know, I don't even want to mess with it anymore. Thankfully, we were just determined and got through the process and kept our nose down and did what we were, you know, how to do and got the doors open. Here we are. Yeah, that's awesome. The grand opening for the downtown location was just a few days ago. Mm -hmm. I was there, looked amazing. I know a few things pushed you back, but you guys kept fighting forward. Tell me where the love for barbecue came from and where you hone those skills to make uh, something that's so unique and, and not something that exists in Brevard County right now. God, it's a long story. And even if I tell you the short version of the story, it's still going to be kind of long. Because he's but, telling it. Well, people want to know. I want to know. <laughs> yeah, so um, I, I'm a big fight fan. I used to have watched UFC and boxing at my house, like pay-per-views and whatnot. And I had a... A neighbor a couple houses down built a smoker and almost had, every time I'd have people over he would almost torment me to borrow things like why don't you borrow my smoker I know you like to cook did it whatever so finally he's put the magic words together he's like uh I don't see why you don't want to borrow it you can't break it you know because I'm notorious <laughs> I break everything I borrow like if I borrow something she's True like statement. she's like really she's like we're gonna have to buy that for that person now you should just <laughs> buy your own you know so I borrowed it and uh, I did it. You know, I sat there. I don't know if it was good. He gave me this little Meyer Mixon cookbook, and I read it, and I did, did whatever I was supposed to do. And I don't know how the food turned out, but it was fun. The addiction just grew from there. You you, you uh, were able to get your hands on it, see the product, and you just kind of had a personality that attached to it. And to do 30 hours, spend 30 hours on brisket, you have to have that kind of personality. I mean, what did you see when he started to kind of take hold of that? Just that he enjoyed it. You know, that seeing, like you just said, seeing it from start to finish, um, you know, seeing the hard work pay off, um, seeing what doesn't work and then trying something new, you know, going back to the drawing board and, and just um, trying something new, really, and just growing and learning and the yeah. process of it. I definitely get some, if I get locked on something, I, I get some hyper-focus on some situations and that was... Definitely one of them. But quickly into it, like, I mean, we probably cooked three or four times, and, like, we just, dude, you know, that's better than this place. Or I, I think, we, you know, these ribs are great, you know, blah, blah, blah. So we, and because we had, I had, I, I was a managing a restaurant at the time, um, and she had worked in restaurants forever, too. So the amount of time we had spent working in restaurants, you start thinking, maybe we could open our own restaurant. And then this was probably literally after I cooked four or five times. And then fast forward, well, a, couple, a month and a half later, we had our Christmas party for the, the restaurant we were working at at our house, and we cooked. I smoked a, like a 14-pound prime rib and like two 12-pound turkeys, and we and we just went for it. And it was it was like it was a spread that I was proud of, and it really went over well. So right then and there, we really started thinking like, you know, we can we can do this, you know. And then so from there, we actually just daydreaming about the idea of it. I had Mondays and Tuesdays off, and we drove from Mims to Palm Bay twice. 
and ate every barbecue place in this county twice just, you know, to see if the first time was a fluke or whatever. And the biggest takeaway was that we think we can do better, you know? And so that was, uh, that's what, every time we ate somewhere else, that was that much more incentive to keep keep dreaming about this, you know what I'm saying? Keep, keep thinking. I mean, it was a dream for a while, and then probably, I'm going to say a year into that, we wanted to do it so bad. We actually, the house I was living in, I sold it. I had some equity in it, paid off some bills. I was able to, to buy a, another big, another smoker, a bigger one, and um, just kind of put us in a position to maybe pursue this thing a little bit harder. And uh, it still took, I don't know, three years after that or something like that, but we just kept chipping away at it. We, ne- we, never, we never gave up on the dreams, you know? We also, you know, when you know, we kind of started gravitating more towards, you know, barbecue in particular. It's what we wanted to do. And the more he watched on YouTube and online and learned and read, and um, it all kind of kept gravitating towards Central Texas. So we took a trip out there to try, you know, the best places and, um, and loved it, you know. Um, and it just further fueled, you know, our love for that kind of barbecue in particular, you know, because there's lots out there, but it's just something that we really enjoyed. Same thing, you know, with barbecue, everyone has their own way they they cook it. They have their own kind of cookers they use. Wood is a variation. I mean, there's so many different things to it, but he just, you know, looked up to the people that cooked it in that region. Um, So that's kind of primarily where our focus lied. Well, so you guys had some experience in hospitality and restaurant management. Mm-hmm. You started to uh, kind of serendipitously um, realize that maybe you had a passion for barbecue, and you started to go down that path, and then you guys just chased the dream as you were continuing to work your other jobs for other people, and, mm-hmm. and here you are today opening, just opened your second restaurant. So uh, it's, it's really cool. I love small business. I love entrepreneurship. It takes a lot of courage to put your money on the line and put yourself out there to do something like that. That's why we do what we do to help small businesses grow. Um, so when we were introduced to you guys, it was because uh, we were both operating in the wedding industry. Mm-hmm. So you guys also cater. Uh, you do you know a lot of different stuff, but also mm-hmm. weddings. Um, so tell me a little bit about operating different lines and now how's it going to run with two locations obviously you're a team and uh you know a husband and wife i don't know if there's any uh struggles with that or you guys always work together and always on the same page but uh that may come with its own challenges but tell me about now that you have so many things and a lot of employees now how do you guys handle all that i think naturally from the beginning like we kind of had our own lanes of things that we took care of and did obviously you know when it came to the meats and smoking that was his avenue first and foremost and I always dealt with you know the paperwork side of it and catering and getting the catering jobs and executing through all that and then with all the sides recipes we developed them together um, and cooked them together and, and during the time before the restaurant and then now as we've grown Um, when we knew that we were going to be adding a second location, um, we had this idea of a production kitchen, um, type scenario that we 
had seen from a friend of ours that owns a restaurant down in West Palm. And he loved the idea being that all the food is produced at one location to be able to oversee and maintain quality of it. And then you mass produce it there and then you kind of ship it out to, you know, what would be your additional locations. Um, But unfortunately, the location we chose here in Melbourne, although the kitchen is huge, which is great, a great benefit to the business, the exterior of the building doesn't have a lot of room for smokers. Mm. Um, So Coco now has become the hub of the meat um, because we do have all of our smokers there, um, number one. And then number two, being that he can't be everywhere to oversee the process of the cooking of the meat, but he can be in one location. So that's another reason that we're keeping all the meat done at one place. So he still can be involved in the process and make sure that it's being done the way that he ultimately wants it done to produce the product that we stand behind. Um, And then the sides, same idea, but they're going to be done in Melbourne, again, because the kitchen space has so much more um, room for production. And then we're going to be producing them there and then uh, bringing them over to the cocoa location. So meat, sides, and we're kind of delivering them, um, you know, daily to the appropriate locations. And you guys do a lot of catering, so you do big events. How big, and how do you guys handle that? We, since the last weekend of March, um, we catered uh, the air show in Melbourne. Um, we did at least we did twenty three hundred and seventy people. No, yeah, twenty three hundred and seventy people that weekend um, on the twentieth. Just a couple of last weekend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we did um, an Easton Corbin concert, like a VIP tent. And we did 400 people on a Saturday and then turned around and on Wednesday um, did a drop-off for 600 people at the Cape Canaveral Air Force Station. So, wow. yeah. So, I mean, we, so we've, we've had spots where we've had really big jobs. And then actually next weekend um, we're going down to Fort Lauderdale and catering some corporate chalets for the air show. It's right on the beach. And I think that's actually smaller, but it's like 400 people a day for the two days in a row or whatever. I think because we started in catering before we ever had the restaurants, though, um, catering is like almost going back to our roots because that's how we learned when we first started producing our food. That's We learned in that environment how to um, do it in a way and transport it in a way to an event um, to still be able to maintain the best quality when it was served. So now doing it is, you know, almost kind of second nature when it comes to catering. I think, and now we just have the kitchens to be able to produce it in, which is helpful. Yeah, because that's a whole different skill set that maybe people who've owned and operated restaurants don't really understand how to keep that freshness, keep that quality. And we've heard that, you know, I think that is a big problem, that if you just come from the other way where you have a restaurant and you're not used to producing it, transporting it, and bringing it out off-site, a lot of quality can get lost in that, so... It's, it's its own animal for sure. The way you hold food is, is, is huge. I mean, there can be a guy who does the exact same thing I do as far as cooking barbecue, whatever, but in that last step, if, if he doesn't wrap it properly as, as we did in the video, if he doesn't hold it properly, if, you know, even you know, some guys will do everything they're supposed to do to the last minute, and then for a catering, they'll slice it all up and throw it in a pan and put some foil on it, and then and air starts hitting it and things start oxidizing and it just turns into a whole different thing. So like it is 
every step along the way till the time it goes on your plate is is, is, is of the utmost importance. I mean, it really is. But with all that being said, because again, we started off catering, you know, getting it, that was the mindset right off Jump Street was like, oh, how do I serve at this wedding to, to be as, as good as it is an hour after it comes off my smoker? And that was a big focus. I mean, right off the bat. I mean, it, it wasn't like we catered five things and we're like, you know, it's just not turning out. No, it was, that was going into that. Like I was like, there ain't no way that I'm going to do this. And I'm, cause I used, I was managing at that restaurant and I would work a day shift. I would get off at four in the afternoon. I'd trim briskets till eight at night. I would cook overnight. Briskets would come off at, you know, let's call it noon. We'd throw some sides on some beans and maybe cook some turkey breast or something smaller. And I literally would be up from six in the morning till on a Friday till 10 at night after the wedding till I got home. So I was like, I'll excuse my French, I will be damned if in the last hour of its life I, I end up serving something that's lackluster. So it was right off Jump Street. It was super important. So we figured that out. It was definitely a standard that, like you said, was set from the beginning. And that's still consistent quality is our key ingredient to our business. And anyone that works for us knows that's what we expect and shares those same values. Um, because it's everything. So you have two locations. You guys sell out every day. If you don't show up by two or three o'clock, you're out of luck, but you're gonna have to show up the next day because you guys sell out and everything is running. Your employees are where they need to be. How does it feel to be where you guys are at right now? It's rewarding. I mean, of course, you know, to see your hard work pay off. It's everything you hope for. Yeah, it, it's really neat. I mean, something I always come back to is uh, there was a time when, you know, I was doing everything, she'd make the sides, and she was actually running the wedding venue at the time, so she'd whip up the sides and then go in and do her job, and I'd show up with the rest of it, and we actually, we would do, we'd bring our, our fold-up tables home and lay them out in the front yard and literally do our, like our chafing dishes and our sheet pans, like our big dishes, in our front yard. I'd get a bucket of soapy water, just like I was washing a car, and we had to wash our dishes in the front yard because we had nowhere to put these big things in our, our little house. You probably look like crazy people to yeah. so so to... To now, I still stand behind the quality of our products. So to still have now that I I've trained this guy to do this and this guy's doing that, and now it really I have someone who can do at least one part of the puzzle. That can everyone can do something better than me now. You know this guy can you know he wraps briskets better than I am. This guy you know runs runs his fire better. This guy slices better. So it's really awesome to see that we used to do all this, and now we've trained people and 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 have built this thing to where they're doing it and. At the end of the day, I can sit down and have a plate of it and go, this is my barbecue. You know what I'm saying? It, it really feels cool. You know, it's awesome. I really, it's, it's, it's I'm very, proud. Yeah, yeah it's I'm very proud. rewarding. Yeah, I mean, sure. sometimes still it's like, you know, wanting that same end result all the time. It's like, you know, we see how long the line was the last couple of days and I'm going, oh man, these people are going to be waiting an hour and a half. And, you know, you go through all these things of things they could possibly be upset about, but then it's like, then I'm still touching tables and just, it, you know, How's the food? And and there's everyone's still happy with the food. Like there, oh, if I had a dime for every time I heard, I waited an hour, but it was worth the wait. This is awesome, you know. So that, that's at at the end of all this chaos. Like we still, you know, come back to that, and it's it's it feels it's cool, man. Like it's really a gratifying thing. So I'm proud. Yeah. Yeah, especially to you know hear people say that because you know we're obviously huge food people ourselves, and you know back to when we travel, you know. We would wait in restaurants, you know, our long lines um, for that same reason, because we felt it was worth the wait. So 
it's just, I don't know, it's pretty cool to hear people say that about our food that we work, you know, so hard on. So I have to circle back to it. You open the second location. Where do you guys see yourself three, five years from now? How many locations are you going to have? Where are we going to, we can't go without finding a Kreidermans. <laughs> you got your system working. Now what? If it works out the way I want it to, we would still find um, the next step beyond these two right now. We would find, um, you know, the, the Holy Grail. We'd find that the, the production kitchens he was mentioning earlier. Um, I would like to be able to bring, you know, I envision four of those thousand gallon cookers and, you know, and two big rotisseries and, and cooking, you know, a hundred briskets a day kind of thing. Um, if, if we, if we do that, I, I feel confident, um, that I can still pump out the same quality if that big batch of food's being cooked under the same circumstances. Um, so that's why I, I push so hard on the production kitchen thing. You know, I, the idea of, you know, this guy cooking in Cocoa and this guy cooking in Melbourne and this guy cooking in, I don't know, Titusville and this guy cooking in Vieira, like, I just, no. Because the way we cook, it's so variable driven. You know, it might be raining here, it might be windy there. This supply of wood might have more moisture to it. So there's so many variables. So at, at least if, you know, that same batch of food, those hundred briskets all were cooked under the same circumstances, then, you know, I, I feel confident that we could put out the same quality product. Um, so that's that's what I want to do. So so I want to get that place up and running. Um, it would still have a storefront attached to it. Um, I have some other ideas, but I'll, I'll leave that for another day. Those but, are still in the vault. Yeah, but then the thing we is... We have a few it, more concept ideas. If we did that, um, then we could open up, you know, little places like Coco for next to nothing. You know, we could we could look for, you know, little cool buildings that have a lot of character and not having to go with, you know, not having to put the hood in and uh, all these big things that are big expenses and, and kind of... In a lengthy process. Yeah, that, that really that really bogged down it and make opening a restaurant difficult. We could get around a lot of that. You essentially would have to have a dish pit and warmers, you know, just something to keep the food warm. And I like to do that. That's, that's my goal. I, I'd like to... I don't have a number, but... I could see the production kitchen plus the two we have right now and maybe another two or three, you know, kind of spread out through this county. Who knows? You have the two locations and you're going to have the production kitchen and you're going to grow throughout Brevard County. You got to come beachside. You know, beachside doesn't have that quality barbecue. And you know that people don't like to go across the bridge when they live on the beachside, okay? So you got to tell me, well, what is it going to look like? You know, before with one location, we were at a certain volume and now with the second, obviously that adds that much more and then catering on top of it, our volume has just grown and grown and grown mm -hmm. from the one brisket to the 50 briskets. It started with just the one brisket and how have you kept that consistency? And it sounds like you just want to keep pushing yourself. Tell me about that. Yeah, I think it's just, uh, it's just kind of the way I'm, I'm, I'm geared. Um, it started off one brisket, turned out good. I started thinking, can I do two? Wow, two turned out. Next thing you know, I buy this much larger smoker. You know, the first time I cooked briskets on it, I did five. Oh my God, five turned out good. You know, how many can I fit in here? I can put 12. But, you know, how do I make these 12 as good as that first one was? So that is, that's always been a thing for me. Now it's, you know, how can I do 48 this day? How can I, you know, cook briskets for 1,100 people? You know, it's, so it's just, it's just, it's just, but always come back to the same place. How can I do that and make it that a product that I'll stand behind and make it still my brisket? Mm. So that's always been a, it's, it's a goal I'm constantly chasing, so. 
Well, we've been really fortunate to be partners with you. Uh, you know, we love making the brisket biography. We look forward to future projects with you guys and seeing the brisket biography on the big screen down in uh, the downtown Melbourne location. Now, everyone keeps asking me, where exactly is Kreiderman's? Where can I find it? So give us the location where people cannot get lost. How can they find the two stores? So our Coco location is at 401 uh, Florida Avenue. So we're in the downtown Coco Village area, uh, right off of Florida Avenue. Uh, fairly easy to find. And in Melbourne, we happen to also be at 401 East New Haven Avenue, um, formerly the old Sugar Shack building. Um, we're down uh, slightly from the second location of Mustard's Last Stand. Well, thank you very much. Uh, we'll continue to drop in and we bring our clients there, especially when we want to close them because once they eat that brisket, <laughs> they're signing on the bottom line. I don't oh, know if we want to tell much. people our secrets there, but uh, <laughs> that's what we do. So thank you awesome. guys. Thanks for having us. Thanks a lot, Trevor. Business impacting the Space Coast, where Brevard gets down to business. Sponsored by Ideal Impact Media, your partner in video marketing and brand storytelling.